And on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to episode 206 of The Boo Crew. This time around, you are spending time with Nikki Koss. She starred in projects like the Freeform show Famous in Love, as well as Chris Landon's fantastic Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. Her new film is an EDM-laced slasher called Dreamcatcher. It's in theaters, digital, and on demand right now. We talk about building this stylish and unique horror film, overcoming and innovating through challenges in the indie filmmaking process, franchise possibilities, her unforgettable and gory experience in Scout's Guide, and her journey as a filmmaker herself, and the latest on her very own feature directorial debut, starring Tony Todd and Eric Roberts. The hilarious and talented Nikki Koss on episode 206, right now. This is Nikki Koss, and you are listening to another terrifying episode of The Boo Crew. Oh my god, are you kidding me? What? We are going out tonight. This place is like an adult Disneyland. Shots? Aren't you supposed to be DJ Dreamcatcher? Are you worried about getting mobbed out here? Why do you think I always wear a mask? Here's the deal. We will get rid of the body, and you will walk away with a compensation check. We will take them down. Well, we can't go in there. Guns blazing. We are better than that. We've got to be strong. I don't want to be strong. I want to be angry. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is an exciting and prolific storyteller. She got her start in the acclaimed web series Royals back in 2014, which earned her several awards for her work as producer and director. She followed that up with a handful of short films, writing and directing Le Douleur Exquise in 2017 and Behind the Lens for 2019's Then and Now, winning her best short and Best Short Comedy, and directing the five-time nominated We Stand With You. She's not only gone on to produce films, including Burying Yasmin, Colleagues, and Innocent Goodbye, but she also stars in them as well. She appears in Terrence Malick's Red Wing alongside Bill Paxton, 2014's The Appearing, Girl on the Edge, written by Blue Valentine's Joey Curtis that won over 13 festival awards, 2015's thriller My Stepdaughter, Chris Landon's absolutely awesome Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, Killer App, Trafficked with Ashley Judd, the award-winning Freeform show, Famous in Love, as the bad girl we all fell in love with, Alexis Glenn, and so much more. Her new project is a really fun and poignant twist on the slasher genre. It's called Dreamcatcher. Two sisters and their friends meet an elusive mask-wearing EDM DJ at an underground music festival that quickly turns into two days of blood-drenched beats and a body count. It's in theaters on demand and digital March 5th, and we are honored to welcome the incredible Nikki Koss. 
Yeah! Yeah! This is one of an intro. I think I might have to start taking you around with me places. <laughs> <laughs> Offer accepted. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us, and congratulations on Dreamcatcher. So thank before you. we get into your experience with this new film, what are some of your earliest experiences that you can remember with the horror genre as a viewer were they good were they bad what were they i love that question i have not been asked that yet my first horror movie i ever saw i was about 15 and it was one of the uh saw movies and it was it was an intense introduction to the horror genre and i think it quite literally scared me away from the genre for many many years (laughs) so that that made me sort of take a beat and um i had to sort of slowly reintegrate back into the horror genre it wasn't until i started acting in thrillers and horrors that i paid it any attention to be honest and i still kind of have a love-hate relationship with the genre as a whole because i'm such a scaredy cat but i love a good psychological thriller and I could get with the gore every now and then, too. (laughs) Sure. Well, talking about that and the deeply psychological, I mean, Saw, as you said, is a great example of combining intense, like, torture porn gore with thriller and psychological mind games. What about that film messed you up in that way that you were like, okay, this is not for me? Specifically, it was a scene with this woman getting basically drowned in pig fat. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. That's it yeah. that literally it. I was like, all right, I don't like the concept was so unfathomable and like fucked up that I was like, I just, I don't even want to, like, not only do I not want to watch this, I don't even want to think about how someone created this in their head. (laughs) Right. Well, the funny thing is about the horror genre also that lends itself to be conducive to highly creative sequences of just like you said, surrealness and viscera stuff. That's hard to describe when you're coming back from set to tell someone you have a lot of those moments in Dreamcatcher. And before we get into that, I want to go back to, you know, going back to your work on Chris Landon's Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, you are in possibly the most insane sequence in that <laughs> entire film where you get to become a zombie and go through all that process. What was what was that just that day like of filming that sequence, your transformation, all that fun stuff where you really got to dive into this? It was a lot of fun. I remember um, at the time my mom was helping me with my auditions all the time because it was, I I want to say it was like pilot season or something. It was really busy and I was working on uh, something else that I was directing. And so I guess the email, my mom saw the email in my inbox at the time and she called me and she was like, I, you have the weirdest audition you have yet to get basically. (laughs) And that scene was the audition scene. (laughs) Oh (laughs) She's like, you're, I was like, well, what's so weird about it? Like, what is it? And she kind of paused and she's like, well, you turned into a zombie and this is how. And <laughs> she proceeded to explain it to me. And I was like, what? Um, and then obviously I was very intrigued and I read it right away and I was cracking up. And then filming it was wild. Maddie Carteropo, who who played the zombie that 
turned me into a zombie. <laughs> um, he was so sweet and um, just like the just such a sweetheart, the opposite of like what his character was at the time. And he kind of came up to me and he was like, he's very straight faced, you know, and he's like, hey so um i just want to like make sure this is cool with you like i i <laughs> you're like kind of going over the uh limitations sure yeah no right. and um yeah. he was so right. sweet about it and then the second they call action he just lit quite literally transforms into like a monster and that was one of the few moments on set where i was thrown by the discrepancy in someone's performance versus them in real life. And it took me a minute to like kind of get back into it, but it was so much fun to film. And Lucas Gage was so fun to act with. We just were improving and Chris Landon was so great about letting us improv. So it was a good, it was a fun environment to be in. Working with Chris on uh, Scout's Guide, what did you learn from him as a director? Oh, he was an awesome director to work with. He, the one the main thing I took away from him was a lot of the times when you're on set, the director is really intense and they feel like they have to take on this role of, you know, the leader in a in an aggressive, um, super serious way. And Chris was like a fearless leader in every sense of the way, but in of the word, but he was so much fun like he just had a blast and he showed up to have fun and i think all of his films are so fun to watch and it's because he brings the fun with him every every time he gets to set so it made he was great in making me realize that a director can be taken seriously just as seriously if they're super fun and super kind and friendly and out there and then also the improv element was great because that was one of my first comedies actually. And he, he would just like, we would be in the scene and he would yell at us, be like, try this or, you know, start talking about tits or, you know, whatever it was, you just throw weird stuff at us and kind of like <laughs> test the boundaries a little bit to see if he could kind of get us to crack or get us to break or whatever. And um, it was just great. He was, he was so much fun and the freedom he allowed us as actors was really special. Yeah, it sounds like a really immersive and collaborative process. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen Freaky that came out recently that he did? Oh, I haven't. I need to, though. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Chris Land is just... fantastic. He's next level. I mean, I want to jump to the makeup process of the zombie stuff, but, you know, you always see, like, in The Walking Dead and everything, they have zombie camps where they teach all the actors how to be zombies. Did you have to go through something like that yourself? We had a zombie choreographer and I literally just forgot about it until just now. But yeah, he, his job was to teach us how to move like a zombie. And that was really a lot of fun. It was like, it was like a dance routine in a way. And then I found myself like practicing on set and I would just be like in the corner doing my weird zombie moves and then realize like, Oh, I'm, I'm in public right now. And then you would be on lunch and then you would see like a lineup of zombies, just like getting ready to have a sloppy Joe. (laughs) (laughs) It was a really weird environment. Um, And the makeup was, it was it was a lot of work to put all that makeup on, but it was fun. I learned a lot from the makeup artist. There was one day in particular where 
they put all the makeup on me, which took like three hours. And then I had 16 hours in my trailer just sitting in the makeup, like stewing in the prosthetics until I was able to get to set because they were running behind. And I remember it was the best shower of my day. <laughs> I bet, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you starred in quite a few horror films and thrillers. What do you enjoy about creating in that space? It's really fun to act like you're scared, weirdly enough. With acting, I like to be able to push myself as much as possible. And oftentimes a horror thriller is a great space for an actor to be able to do that. And, you know, the drama of it all, it gets really intense. There's a lot of crying scenes and a lot of screaming and all that shit. And I love that stuff. So that was cool. And yeah, I mean, you can really uh, explore in a way that you can't really in other genres. And it's another thing I love is like the environment you walk on set and it's a scary set you know it's you see the movie like it's scary looking it's scary looking like that in real life too and it's dark and it's gritty and you know you have the people dressed to the nines and the makeup and the zombie and whatever it is and it's easier to um get into it when everything around you is like already there well, let's talk about Dreamcatcher and how you got involved in this project. Okay, so I knew Jamie Gallagher, the casting director, because we'd worked together on other projects before. And she sent me the script. And I, I met Jacob once forever ago. And she was like, just throw something on tape for this. And so I threw something on tape and she came back telling me, I'm pretty sure she was like, this isn't this is not you need to read tape like she didn't like it oh, no. <laughs> or Jacob didn't like it or something I just I guess I didn't um, I didn't understand the character at the time and honestly I, I still don't fully understand her she's quite a mystery but I I redid the tape I actually had Lucas Gage from Scout to help me with it and then I went in to do the audition or to do the um chemistry read and the callback with the producers and I remember thinking the producers were the most unconventional producers I'd ever seen in an audition room they were like taking pictures in the waiting room of us and they were like do the Charlie's Angels pose and just goofing around and laughing and at one point they asked me to scream and I, I'd never been asked that in audition before I thought it was so weird and I kind of said no <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I was just like, I don't want to train my voice. Sure, yeah. I watch a movie. Right. That I've been in, right? Yeah, tell me I got the role first, then I'll scream. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, um, exactly. Uh, and, and then literally they all just burst out laughing and they're like, okay, you got it. We're just messing with you. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so it was quite the audition process. It's interesting. Yeah, it sounds like it. Wow. So yeah. Jacob Johnston, he's a guy who's worked behind the scenes on almost every MCU film and project from Thor to the Avengers and the Jessica Jones TV series, all this stuff. But this is his first full-length feature writing and directing and that's a position you yourself have been on the other side of the camera in what is the adventure like of going into the trenches with a first-time filmmaker with Jacob is there something palpable about that energy on the set of a first-time filmmaker yes absolutely I think um making a movie takes a village and what I love so much about filmmaking and being on set is 
everyone has a different job, but everyone has the same goal and everyone's working their ass off to obtain that goal together as a unit. So I think when you have a first time filmmaker, we all go into it knowing there's going to be some semblance of a learning curve in certain areas. It's just inevitable. And you obviously go into it believing in the filmmaker enough to fill those areas in the best way you can individually and overcompensate for them as best as you can. So I think there's even more of a unity when there's a first time filmmaker because we're all wanting them to do a great job and we all have that same goal, but we're all like really supporting that that person as a group. And I felt that when I was doing it and I felt that when I was on the other side of it, when we were doing it for Jacob. So do you find that it brings the whole group together even after that experience? Is it something you kind of walk away from as like almost a trauma, you know, a shared <laughs> a shared thing you all went through? <laughs> trauma. Uh, it's such a weird combination of a trauma and like the best experience of your life. Sure. But yes, you, it, it bond, making a movie like that bonds you with these people like nothing else can. Where did you film this thing? How long did it take? Hmm. I guess it took about a little over a month and we filmed in just different areas of LA. There was one, we, that warehouse we filmed in was yeah. like in, somewhere in LA I'd never been to before that I don't plan on ever going to. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just all throughout LA, which was convenient. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. The Boo Crew will be right back. Twitch of the Death Nerve. The first motion picture to require face-to-face warning. Every ticket holder must pass through the theater's final warning station. We must warn you face-to-face. Warning. Are you aware that Twitch of the Death Nerve contains scenes which may be the stimulus that initiates psychological shock? Warning. During scenes of intense shock, do not attempt to leave your seat. If necessary, close your eyes, but remain seated until you have regained your composure. Warning. There are 13 periods of intense shock. Do not subject yourself to more than one strong reaction. Warning. Diabolical. Fiendish. Savage. You may not walk away from this one. Yeah, the movie explores some dark elements of the EDM uh, scene, the you know electronic dance music scene, such as the drugs and manipulations and overdoses. And is any of it based on any true stories or experiences? I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I'm curious now to ask Jacob the answer to that. But I do know that he's such a great writer because each character, you know, wants something different. And each character has such a different journey and arc and he pulls all of that from real life whether it's happened to him or someone he knows he it's so grounded and like the the journeys are so grounded in reality at the bones and he does such a good job like uh, at one point um the drug that was that i had to take what was the drug some drug that yeah, i, I forget the name of it yeah 
I was like asking Jacob about it and he had done so much research on this drug. I asked him one little question and he came up with like a 10 minute long answer of how this drug affects you, like short term, long term, everything. Wow. I remember thinking oh. like, oh, shit, I got to go home and like do more research. On this. <laughs> I got to go try this drug. Yeah. <laughs> but he really like he did his research. Every little element of the script had he had it all thought out. Oh, I wanted to note something about the dialogue and the writing as well that was really unique is it's got a really cool and hilarious satirical element too that I you know I don't I don't think I've seen in a kind of a music oriented film since maybe like Josie and the Pussycats the Josie and the Pussycats movie or something like that and you have this amazing character in in Josephine right she kind of sums up that right she's amazing what did you think of that element of the story kind of injected in that was what drew me in right off the bat was the comedic elements and and how unapologetically sassy the dialogue was and jacob is really like he's like that in real life he's really funny and his comedy is like no holds bar he's just he's he'll put it out there and and say what he wants to say without you know thinking twice about it and he's hysterical and i was really excited to be able to portray a character that was that like on point with her sass she was quite on point with that sass pierce yeah yeah, definitely (laughs) yeah yeah and we had a lot of fun on set too because we would riff and we would have moments where we would take his out there you know lines and comedy and and just kind of build on it and he would just let us go so that was cool and it's so fun because the movie opens with pierce is a massive horror fan it was great pulled us right in (laughs) right (laughs) yeah We at the Boo Crew are big prop collectors and we notice props and costumes. Um, And so did you keep anything from the production? Yeah. So my like main outfit that I wear, which is like, I don't even know how to describe it, like a dress shirt thing, mesh with pearls. I kept that. And, you know, I don't know why I kept it because it's still covered in blood that's awesome <laughs> that's the best one yeah. to keep, right the battle right, scars right uh, yeah <laughs> that was great that was a perfect reaction on both of you <laughs> what only did you say it at the same time you both made the same move <laughs> and the, i mean the mask design too was really original and unique did anyone get to walk away with any of the masks or anything um, the producers have the mask and every time we go over there to hang out we like take the mask out and take pictures and goof around with it. And um, I think they like that mask was expensive. Like it was, I remember it was in the trailer. We had like this main trailer for the cast and it was like in its own separate little section. And everyone was like, don't go near the mask. Don't touch the mask. Like it was this sacred thing. Wow. (laughs) Was there only one mask or there's gotta be only one. Yeah. That's why they were so protective over it. And now we just like, Fuck around with the mask all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Were you aware of? Did they let you in on yeah. anything behind the ideas of the design of the mask itself and why they chose it to make it look the way it did? Not really, but I do know that a lot of thought was put into it, and a, there was a lot of back and forth. And they had a great designer who worked with Jacob and the producers on their vision, and they all collaborated on it. Yeah, it was really unique and very cool. Also, like an interesting thing about this this film that just makes it unique from and stand apart from other slashers I've seen is 
it's got that meta element. It's got that satirical element. I've never seen one that explores kind of the EDM culture, but also the cool directorial and visual decisions that are being made throughout this are incredibly unique. You have like that one shot. There's a great shot of you on one side of the screen, zoomed in on, on your face on one side screaming, and you can kind of see you with a peripheral in the background on the other side. I love that. I love the use of colors. There's a lot of Dario Argento inspired stuff going on and this crazy 80s synth score underneath a lot of this stuff. Was there anything that you enjoyed particularly about the mechanics? mechanics and visual style of how it all turned out at the end? Yes, totally. I mean, that's probably my favorite part is that, you know, it's a unique script and it's a unique story, but what makes it so special is the aesthetic that he layered on top of it all. And I remember uh, towards the beginning, I think like when I was just getting um, doing the chemistry reads and stuff, he sent me his lookbook and I loved his inspiration for it. And um, a a lot of, uh, he drew a lot of inspiration from like Neon Demon and films like that. And I just really um, fell in love with his vision for it. And I was wondering how he was going to execute it with what he had to work with at his disposal. And I remember every day going on set, being really excited to see what Jacob did that day to realize his aesthetic vision and he got he had to get creative within the means of the budget and he definitely did that yeah what was your favorite uh, scene or sequence to shoot Ooh, um so okay let's see how do i say this without giving it away <laughs> um there's a let's call it a a dream sequence drug trip sequence the drug trip trip sequence um it's a tongue twister um <laughs> but that was so much fun because we basically rented out this like studio warehouse for the day or for the night it was a night shoot and i had no idea how we were going to film it because it was written in kind of a really uh vague way like it was just kind of like pierce has a drug trip a co- these are a couple things that happened during it and that's it and so i get there And I pulled Jacob aside and I'm like, what the hell are we doing here? Like, what's the plan? You know? And he goes, so you're going to go up there and I'm just going to keep the cameras rolling and we're going to try all kinds of weird shit. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you what, but we're just going to throw you in there and we're just going to try shit. Like I'll, I'll, I'll like, I'd be on the other end of the camera and he'd be like, okay, now scream. Like you're in the most pain of your entire life. Okay. I'll scream. Then like, he'll be like, okay, now give me like a look of extreme pleasure. And then I'll be like, okay. And then I'll be like, now start crawling around the floor. Like you're looking for your keys. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so that was so much fun because it was like an actor's dream to be able to just like get in there and, and get shouted at basically to do all kinds of weird things. Was there anything that came up during filming? And I mean, just, just based on that, that, that it was an indie film. Was there anything that came up that was particularly challenging or something that didn't go the way it was supposed to? And everybody had to kind of team up and figure out a solution to get around it. Was there anything in particular that comes to mind? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, we had to, we didn't have as many extras as it seems like we had. And I think they might've even through like with VFX through more bodies in there than were actually there. And so it was interesting in certain scenes to try and 
act like you're in this like crowded, like you're a sardine packed into this crowded rave when really there's like 10 people around you. Like, you know, that was hard. And Jacob and the producers did a great job of continually reminding us, you know, what our atmosphere was supposed to be. And then one night it was like, God, it was like five in the morning, very end of a night shoot. And we were all exhausted and they, for some reason decided to save like the most energetic scene of the day for that. <laughs> of course. And we were all so tired. And I remember at one point, Crystal was one of the producers pulled me over. And this is the only time she said this to me. And I don't think anyone's ever said this to me before. She goes, you are not bringing it right now. You need to go back out there and bring it. You're freaking exhausted. And it shows. And I was so shocked that she spoke to me like that, that like it just <laughs> Like something clicked and I was like, fuck yeah. Okay. Like, let's go. And, and then we all like sort of bounced off each other energy wise, but the late nights were no easy feat. That's for sure. So what do you think about a franchise? Is there talk of this and without spoiling anything, where do you think it could go? Yeah, I, there's definitely been talk of a franchise and they left it very open ended for that reason there's so many directions it could go in. I mean, who knows? We, we, we throw around ideas all the time and, you know, it's hard to sort of like throw the spaghetti at the wall right now without giving up the whole film, but I would love to see the progression of Pierce's relationship with Jake and to see if he can ever make it out of that damn friend zone. And um, (laughs) I love, um, I mean, Pierce and Dylan, connect immediately on this sort of indescribable cosmic level and every scene that you see them together and it's like pretty sexual you know and you never really get to explore what's underneath all of that and you know there's like a lot underneath all those layers and so i would love to sort of explore sort of the mental connection that they developed and why it was so immediate yeah nikki we need to see you in more horror movies is there a particular <laughs> character or franchise that you'd like to be a part of in the horror genre? Hmm. A particular franchise. Well, I know they're doing, aren't they doing a scream reboot? Yeah. Is that happening? That would yes. be fun. I never saw scream before um, Dreamcatcher, But then when we were prepping for it, we had a, like a cast movie night and Jacob was like, you guys need to see scream before we start filming. Um, and I was probably like the only one that hadn't seen it, but that was, that would be cool. And yeah, I mean, definitely not Saw. I could tell you that. <laughs> You'd be fantastic in a Scream movie. You yes. Could, yeah, you scream, yeah. scream. It'd be amazing. Yeah. Well, there yeah. is a new thriller called Night Night that you were attached to direct, and that stars Eric Roberts and the great Tony Todd, Candyman himself. So, what can you nice. tell us about the status with that project? So it's done. Um, we're currently in the midst of locking a distribution deal and lots of fun contracts and negotiations, <laughs> but it should be out this year. And uh, I, I'm excited because it's I, I had never directed any sort of psychological thriller or anything in that like remotely in that arena ever. So I had to do a bunch of research, obviously, and watch a bunch of psychological thrillers. And I, I, I ended up putting my own spin on it. And hopefully the community, the horror community responds well to it, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see regardless whether or not 
people can get into it, but I'm, I'm excited for it to be out there. So hopefully later this year. Stay tuned. Very fun. I'm curious, what nice. kind of yes. horror thrillers were you diving into in particular? What resonated with you? Which ones? One of the biggest inspirations for me in that research period was The Shining. I loved it. I thought that he did... I love going back to that conversation we're having about, you know, layering this unique uh, story with this really cool aesthetic that really resonated with me. And just as a filmmaker in general, a stylized look has always been really important to me and finding one that can be uh, unique to me. And, And my dream is for people to watch my stuff, you know, down the line and not know that I'm directing it, but be able to see it and be like, oh, this is a Nikki Cost movie. And so I felt like The Shining really got my wheels spinning in that regard. And then I watched, uh, and gosh, I watched so many. Another one I really liked was uh, The Machinist. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Memento. Just anytime I felt really stressed out during a movie, I was like, this is probably what I'm supposed to be feeling right now. <laughs> and this is the goal to just stress people out, I guess. And then Seven was good, too. I like that one. Oh, my God. Those are great films. man. Yes. Well, yeah. talking about what you just said, that's very interesting. As your voice as a filmmaker has become seasoned and continues to grow, what are you finding? are the loudest parts of your voice that makes you unique? That's a fabulous question. I love that. I'd say I, the way I work with color for sure would be one. Colors are really important to me and um, sort of like monochromatic color palettes. And I'd say creating a world visually that feels time period ambiguous. So I try to steer away. It was hard on night night because it was very prevalent in the plot, but I try to steer away from using um, like modern technology as props or as like vehicles to move the story along just because I like the idea that especially in like a thriller realm, you're more isolated and trapped without the immediacy of, you know, a a device on you at all times. So um, a time period, ambiguous, creating a time period, ambiguous world colors. And then I'd like to think just an authenticity in the characters and the acting and taking on this really subtle style with, with all my actors and their performances. Well, Nikki, we cannot wait to see the films that you're going to be a part of bringing to us behind the lens and your continued evolution as an incredible actor. And congratulations on on Dreamcatcher. And we just can't wait for everybody to see it. Thank you. You guys are fabulous. I just adore all of you. Wow. We love you too, Nikki. And thanks again for taking the time. That was the Blue Crew Podcast, episode 206. Special thanks to our guest, Nikki Koss. Follow her at Nikki Koss on Instagram and Twitter and see Dreamcatcher in theaters, digital, and on demand now. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, Chapter sliced by Trevor Shan. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! 
Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories, if you're brave enough. (laughs) 